Bitches, Wolfa Goo the Green Teeth, let me in! And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying, studying. Here comes Cooper onto that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull him off? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody. Good afternoon. Today is Friday, the 3rd of November. The year is 2006, and you are at the place that puts you on pole position for news, commentary, and opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, it is. Rumble Stripper Radio back for episode number 33. That would make this the Marco Melandri edition of the show. Well, folks... We almost got what we wanted, didn't we? Yep, MotoGP season finale Valencia, the Ricardo Tomo circuit on the uh, eastern shore of Spain. And uh, yeah, a lot of talk about that, not only about the race, uh, but a lot of stuff that's happening after the race. And that's actually why the delay in getting the show out this week you know, obviously you might have been thinking the show could have come out Monday or Tuesday and you'd have been correct. However, with all the testing that was going on immediately after the event, uh, I wanted to try and get some information out um, or get some information from the test so we could get it out here on this week's show. And, uh, oh man, I tell you what, I got about three pages of notes to go through here today. So lots to talk about. And um, I guess we should probably just kick off the show with some of the news, uh, although it's so uh, discombobulated in my notes, I guess I should have organized it a little bit better. But uh, you know, you know how that goes, right? So uh, yeah, where is that thing? Hey, come on! You're supposed to work. There it is. Yeah, yeah old bit siren, not prepared, right? Okay, so here we go. Um. Obviously, some people out of seats and uh, some people in seats there in uh, in MotoGP. One of the people who is out of a seat uh, on the Tech Twa team, of course, is James Ellison. Ellison had, um, shall we say, a less than stellar year for a lot of reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but the very, 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 very strong rumor is that uh, James Ellison is going to be coming to the United States and racing for the Corona Honda team in uh, the AMA Superbike season. Uh, and I am um, led to believe, certainly not told, but uh, certainly indications have been given that negotiations are full on and looking very, very good for that. But uh, a lot of stuff has to be ironed out. But um, looking, uh, looking like it's going to be uh, James Ellison. Coming to the U.S. 
any other notes that I have on that here. So sorry, I'm just screaming out through my through all my notes here. Uh, what else do we have going on? Well, of course, after the race, it was also announced that Fortuna. Well, interesting week. Inter- interesting uh, week for Grassini is uh, they lose their Fortuna sponsorship. Um, dump Michelin and grab Bridgestone for tired. Now, um, based on some testing times that we'll talk about here shortly, at least on a 990 bike, that uh, certainly no uh, no downside in doing that. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about tires too, about how that all worked out. Uh, let's see, Raj Hayden got a uh, quick ride on the 990 Kawasaki bike, did about uh, 10, 12 laps on it, turned uh, 140 lap time. Which it's good and bad. Um, you would think that Raj would do a little bit better on the bike. However, he had never been on the track, and when he got, is either two five or two six lap stints stints on it, and eh, not too bad. I was hoping Raj would do a little bit better on that. Uh, the Omore bike obviously is a Jeremy Williams and Andrew Pitt trying it out. We'll talk about some of the times that they turned. And uh, what else do we have here for for uh, notes here? Let's see. Blah 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. And anything on page two? Oh, Hopper uh, did a test drive in the Toro Rosso Formula One car, which, oh, man, that had to be just tremendous for him. Um, acceleration, braking, cornering speed, everything. And I guess he was within four or five seconds of uh, Antonio Luzzi's time, so... That's actually not too bad for the first time he's ever been in one of those cars. It's uh, so overwhelming with what the brake, especially the brake. Most of that stuff is in the brakes and, and how hard that you, how hard and how late you can get on the brakes that, that, that throws most people. Some of it's the mid-corner speed as well. But um, I would bet that, uh, you know, give him 40, 50 laps and uh, Hopper could probably be uh, much, much closer to that. So that was kind of cool. And uh, Alex Barros had some uh, some time on the Dantine Ducati bike, and very interesting what he was able to do, um, not only with him, but with uh, some good quality tires. And we've talked about uh, over the year how the Dunlops that the Dantine team was getting, was getting this year were, uh, were very much less than, um, than what uh, Cheka had been getting on the Tectois team. Uh, so they put uh, some Bridgestones on and put Barros on the bike and really never having ridden that bike. And it was uh, reasonably competitive, very quick. So well, let's talk about the race a little bit, though. Um, before we talk about MotoGP, we had uh, one other championship to wrap up, and that was the 250 race. Um, I guess notable for several reasons. Number one, Alex DeAngelis won his first ever uh, Grand Prix. So all of you... Nicky Hayden haters who say he's not a champion because he only won two races this year and maybe only really only won one race because Colin handed him the race at Assen. Yet remember that Alex DeAngelis won a 125 championship without ever winning a race. Excuse me. Hello. Let me repeat that. Alex DeAngelis won a 125 championship without ever winning a a race, okay? The race that he won here at Valencia on the 250, his first ever Grand Prix win. Let that sink in. Why don't you chew, why don't you, why don't you chew on that cud for a while? Um, 
beautiful, beautiful ride from uh, Roberto Locatelli in second spot. And um, uh, if you watch the race, he he had a really, really solid shot at winning the race. He led for quite a bit. Um, and then when he and uh, uh, Hiro Aoyama were, were battling out, uh, or was that with DeAngelis? Now I can't remember. I think it was with Hero. Anyways, um, he kind of got run off the track a little bit and got pushed back about five, six seconds. And then he decided, well, can't catch DeAngelis at that point. So uh, cruised home in a second. Very, very, very nice run in, in second spot. Uh, of course, George did take the 250 championship with a uh, fourth place finish. Now, for a while, you're wondering what the hell he was doing. He was floating all around between, you know, third, fourth place, back as far as eighth or ninth, and screwing around with that deal. Um, but ended up finishing in fourth place and took the championship. Um, Aoyama had a had a great ride, and um, mistake there cost him really cost him the race because he was leading seemed to be leading i'm not gonna say comfortably but it looked like he was going to be able to uh, take charge of the race and kind of dictate the pace uh and then uh, and then crashed out in the lead so uh it was kind of a bummer for hero but he's going to be back next year on the ktm apparently he turned down much more money at kawasaki uh to stay at ktm which i believe uh, was a very, very wise decision for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Kawasaki bike is not going to be a competitive bike next year. Um, they do not have a motor that has gotten off the dyno, um, meaning it doesn't have the durability. It, it, it could make the power, but it's not durable, or if it's durable, it doesn't have the power, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, you could make more money now, but uh, right on a bike that will probably be less than probably much less than uh, or he could stick around on what could be the top bike next year win a championship move up to moto gp a year later and make even that much more money because he's bringing with him a, a championship so i think that's a very very wise move on on hero's part that's uh, mm, a lot of um maturity i would say uh, or he's got some good people in his ear talking more about that. So uh, it'll be good to see. And and, and uh, with uh, DeAngelis and uh, George sticking around in 250, the 250s could be a very, very... Uh, Mika Calio stepping up next year to um, to the 250s could be a very, very interesting championship next year. And a few other people in there as well um, could make that very good. Now, here's the thing. And everyone knows of my love of Nick Harris. But good God, could this guy throw any more of a hissy fit about uh, Jorge going into Park Ferme after the race and then going up on the podium? Um, I'm sorry, Nick, but he just won the friggin' 250 championship. He can kind of do what the hell he wants, especially because it's a race in Spain. So... Go put that corn cob back up your ass, okay? It's like, I, seriously, go back and listen to the 250 race. And it's like, well, I don't know what he's doing in there. He shouldn't be in there. What's he doing there now? Why is he going on the podium? Because he's getting the fucking number one play, jackass. Jesus Christ, I swear. You know, I I try to be a uh, nonviolent person, but sometimes... Violence is called for because it would do some good. 
And uh, this is going to be over the top and extreme. And yeah, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm joking. There's about 99.99% joking in here. But I think someone needs to go Bobby De Niro in The Untouchables when, uh, when they're talking about the team, they're sitting around the te- table and talking about team. You know what scene I'm talking about there? It's about the team. Yeah, well, someone needs to go, uh, you know, Bobby De Niro on, on, you know, Nick Harris there. Dude, I don't know. I'm just going to stop there because then I'll go off on a 35-minute rant about Nick Harris. And yeah, that's not going to be healthy. By the way, speak, <laughs> if you have the MotoGP, uh, MotoGP.com subscription, go listen to um, Randy Mamola's interview a uh, you know, day or two after the race. And I think he's been doing a lot of interviews with Spanish TV because it, it, it's somewhat humorous because he's an American speaking English with a Spanish accent and a, and a Spanish diction to his speech, <laughs> talking talking to the MotoGP MotoGP people, and it's it's actually somewhat humorous. So. Um, it was funny because I listened to that, and then, then literally on four different message boards, um, there's all kinds of stuff popping up about it. So well, at least I wasn't the the only one to to see that. So uh, as far as the MotoGP race itself, obviously huge, huge, huge amounts of tension. And oh yes, by the way, MotoGP.com. Did you not understand and realize that after? What had happened? Your bandwidth uh, at the Estoril race—that it wasn't—that was going to be even worse for this event. Um, you know, watching the race on the computer. Excuse me. The two fifty race was for the most part fine, but you definitely saw when people were were really starting to jump on there because it would get a little choppy. For the um, for the actual MotoGP race. There was once we once they did the siding lap and came back and parked, you definitely saw everyone piling onto the servers because it got really, really choppy. Um I know a lot of people lost their connections. Um uh, people couldn't get on at all. I was able to stay on for the whole race and, and everything afterwards. Um uh, but I guarantee you instead of, you know, a theoretical thirty frames a second, um I was getting about seven frames a second. It was very, very choppy and um, it didn't ruin it, but it certainly wasn't as enjoyable as it could have been. Um, didn't watch the race on Speed TV because I didn't feel like waiting through 35 minutes of commercials uh, for that. But uh, still, come on, MotoGP. It's the last event of the year and uh, you know what's going to be happening to your bandwidth and you didn't take steps to fix that that's okay i understand maybe it's not the huge revenue stream but if you want it to be a bigger revenue stream you gotta deliver a little quality there okay so memo for next year to dorn on that one right but uh anyway so the tension's building and you're kind of sitting there and kind of clenched up and everything start goes off and nick nicky gets a pretty good start rossia has his bad start uh, Nick slots in what about third, uh, fourth, fourth position moves up into third position very quickly, looks to be uh, on the charge. I mean, as he said, he's all in for this weekend. He had to win. There was no two ways about it. He had to win. 
and um, yeah, to to give himself any chance. Obviously, he didn't win, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, making the charge, he gets around in the second spot, makes the makes the uh, making the run on Bayless, and um, lap. F- oh Jesus! Now lap four. Yep, there it is. Sorry, there's my notes. Um, Rossi crashes out of seventh spot. And that was huge. And even like days afterwards, they were there was a uh, question for Valentino: Why did you continue to test the 990? And it's like, well, we were trying to figure out what happened because I have no explanation of of why I crashed. Well, some people would say you choked under the pressure because it's the first time that you've really, really ever had to battle that hard for championship. I'm not going to say you choked. I'm going to say you made a mistake. You know. And then we're going to talk about that a lot, too. Um, so he crashes out of fourth spot, picks the bike back up. He's 30 seconds down. Uh, they're coming around uh, to finish the lap. Nikki, uh, Nikki's board comes out. It says Valentino P20. And he's making the charge down the front straight. Has has Bayless set up, ready to pass him to go into the lead. And I think it took him a couple seconds to process, like, Rossi P20. Um, and then Nick did the smart thing. Um, you know, he backed off and kept it on two wheels because what would have been the worst thing to do him to go out in front, push it hard to stay out front and then for him to go down and then hand the, hand the championship back to Valentino. So his team did the smart thing. They just kept him updated. And then at one point, you know, I think Nick was starting to look a little racy again, uh, to get back up in the second spot when, uh, Caparossi got around him. And, uh, you know, they gave him the sign that says P3 okay. Fine, you know. And, uh, I mean, Lorenzo's team did the same thing for him, you know, when uh, he was running around and they said, you know, P4 okay or P5 okay at, at one point in time for uh, for his championship. So, you know, that was a smart thing. Nick did it, finished on the podium, took, took, the, took the championship. And, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the person I feel the the worst for in this whole deal is Troy freaking Bayless. I mean, <laughs> talk about... You know, if if this wasn't the last race of the year, tell me that we wouldn't be talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Troy Bayless, fresh off the 2006 World Superbike Championship, uh, gets the ring because... Uh, gets, a, gets a call from Ducati because uh, Sede is injured once again. In a sense, through no fault of his own this time. And uh, said, so, uh, Troy, you know, why don't you come in and uh, have a ride? You you know, kind of ushered in the 990. Might as well take it out in style. Troy's like, okay, sounds good. Not really doing anything other than sitting around Monaco or Monaco, uh, depending on whose accent you're talking about, and uh, hanging loose. So he comes in, gets on the bike, <laughs> running some super fast times real quickly, and here's where I'm kicking myself. When I was picking my tip, when I was doing my tipping picks for, uh, for on the ride on two.com, I'm sitting there going, who's going to win the race? And I go, Bayless, Bayless is going to win the race. And then I changed my mind to Caparossi at the very last second. And I know better because I always tell myself and I always tell everyone else, whatever your first instinct is, you go with that. And what did I do? I picked Caparossi, eh, whatever. So I think I picked picked Bayless to podium though. I, I figured Bayless would end up on the podium. But Bayless gets the whole shot. 
gets out in front and leads every single lap of the race and wins his very first MotoGP event. I mean, that is just your very, I'm sorry, very first MotoGP race. So he comes in, you know, all right, cool. We'll do it for, do it for a laugh. Well, obviously not for just a laugh, but he's doing it and got rewarded. Very cool. And goes out and kicks everyone's ass. Now, had Nick not, you know, had Rossi not crashed and had it been more of a race, um, would he have held off Nicky? Kind of hard to say. Having Seeing how Nick had him set up early um, would have been interesting to see, the battle between those two. Although Bayless, being who he is and as smart as he is, I don't think he would have screwed up Nicky's championship because I because Bayless understands what karma is. Um so that was interesting. But what the other thing that I found interesting is Caparossi uh, pressed him a little bit towards the end of the race, and Bayless said, um, sorry, mate, wicked it up a little bit and uh, and took a very convincing win. So huge props to Troy Bayless. I mean, that is just so cool for him. Um, he kind of got the, uh, a bum deal off the Ducati MotoGP crew a couple of years ago. I mean, he came in, was uh, reasonably competitive on the bike. I mean, Caparossi did take their first ever uh, podium, first ever win, right? Is that? Yeah, okay, that is right. I was trying to think if he got the first podium or if Bayless got it, but I'm pretty sure Caparossi got it. But Bayless was reasonably competitive on the bike uh, in its first year in uh, 03. 04 comes around, and Bayless is put, giving his input, and he's like, you need to change this and change this, and then we need to go in this direction. And the Ducati engineers went Honda a little bit and said, no, 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 the data shows this, so this is the direction we're going in, and you need to adapt to it. And Bayless is like, this is the wrong direction. And funny enough how both Bayless and Caparossi were, you know, didn't have so good of a, um, so good results for most of the season. And then towards the end of the season, um, Pretty much after they've told Bayless that, sorry, we're not going to bring you back next year, they make all the changes that he uh, had asked for early in the season, and all of a sudden they're back up on the podium, you know, competitive and then on the podium. Funny how that works. He goes to Honda with uh, with the Pons team for uh, 05, yeah, kind of a forgettable season, but basically Troy had all the same problems that everyone else had on the Honda bike, so, you know, no surprise there. 06, Ducati says, you know, come on back. We need to win the uh, Superbike Championship again. Wins that, gets rewarded, MotoGP. Comes out, and what did I say last week? I said, Troy's going to be very motivated for a little bit of, you know, kind of a little bit of an FU on that whole deal, right? Um, As in, maybe you shouldn't have gotten rid of me and you'd had some better results. Hmm. Problem is, at this point, is they've hired Casey Stoner, number one. And number two, Troy Bayless is 37 years old. <laughs> the scary thing is he's just as fast at 37 as he's ever been uh, and probably a much better rider at 37 than he's ever been as well. But in MotoGP, it's at least at this point, it's all about all about the youth um, and um, all about a 250 pedigree as well. Not that Bayless doesn't have a, 250, a bit of a 250 pedigree, uh, especially with the 800s coming online, but eh, what do you do, right? So... Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Trust me. There's a lot of a lot of personal satisfaction in that one coming along. I mean, I, I think I think every time Troy Bayless thinks about that for the rest of his life, you're going to see a smile kind of sneak onto his face. So, uh, 
Um, so I feel sort of, like I said, I feel kind of bad for, for Bayless on that one because he deserves mad props for that race. Um, you know, qual- through practice, through qualifying, through the race, he deserves some mad props. So if no one else says anything to you, which I find it hard to believe, Troy Bayless, not that you weren't, not that you didn't deserve this title before, but you're not just Troy Bayless. You're Troy freaking Bayless, okay? Because that was just, that was huge. Um, but not to take away uh, from Nikki's championship at all. So Nikki Hayden is the 2006 MotoGP championship. And oh boy, are people pissed off. It is hilarious to read through all the stuff going on all the different boards. Like I said, I was in four or five different boards and uh, some stuff on the right on two boards was, was quite humorous. Uh, a couple of people who I will not um, give any kind of satisfaction to by mentioning by their screen name and all. So their heads are so far up their ass, it's not even funny. In fact, there's so many Rossi apologists and so many Nikki haters out there that... uh. I actually did get an email this week, and, I, and I'd like to read it to you. It says, um, hold on, get it here. I actually printed it off. Where is it? Okay, here it is. It says, Dear Mr. Duke, would you please let everyone on the internet boards know that I'm getting mad, and I'm getting pissed off, and I'm a little bit jealous? There are way too many people slurping Valentino Rossi uh, and what happened at Valencia. Please let them know it is my job and only my job to be slurping Valentino. Sincerely, Uccio. Now, of course, I just made that up, but seriously, I mean, there are so many people slurping so hard on Valentino. It's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit obnoxious to be honest with you. Um, all of a sudden, you know, Nikki Hayden is some redneck country bumpkin pile of shit who does not deserve to be MotoGP champion. Only the great Valentino Rossi can be champion or, you know, all kinds of horse shit going on for this. And it's actually funny. And I'm not saying that there isn't some some legit criticism to Nikki's run at the championship. But understand that a championship is a season-long run. And Valentino had some tough luck, and Nikki had some tough luck, okay? We could go race by race, and maybe next uh, next show we will. But understand that Nick had problems through the season, especially after Laguna. Valentino had problems early in the season. Nick's problems were late. Nikki was very consistent and rode smart. Valentino... Excuse me. Had after after uh, Laguna had nothing to lose. I mean, he literally had to put it all out there. You know, Valentino went all in after Laguna, at uh, starting at Berno, right? Because he had to. Nick, on the other hand, didn't have to. Now everyone says, "Well, to be a true champion, you should dominate." Well, go back and look at the history books and look at how many people who are considered great champions. Um, didn't dominate, and and I'll I what's the, I keep citing Wayne Rainey, and uh, I believe it was ninety one. 
I think it was the 91 championship. I have to pull it out or even reference some of the other posts that I put up. Uh, that year, Rainey won three events. Okay. Nick won two. Uh, in that year, uh, Rainey had a couple DNFs. Nick had one. And, uh, you know, Rainey had a string of fifth place finishes. Well, Nick had his problems at, towards the tail end. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, you know, and then we could always say, you can always look at it this way. Everyone thinks Kevin Schwantz is one of the great riders of all time, and he is, right? And Kevin Schwantz won 25 MotoGP events in his career, okay? And he won one world championship. And the only reason that he won that one world championship is because Wayne Rainey crashed and was paralyzed. Had Rainey, let's just say that Rainey crashed and wasn't paralyzed and was able to race the last couple of rounds, Schwantz would not have been world champion. So Schwantz would have been one of these people who won 20, we'll call it 23, 22, 24 races, right? And never been world champion. Okay. So at the end of the day, according to a lot of people's thinking, it would be much better to win a bunch of races and never be champion than to be intelligent and do what you need to do and win a championship, even though you didn't win all the races. See, at the end of the day, it's all about the ring, right? That's what that's what people. I mean, it doesn't matter any kind of stick and ball sport you talk about, whether it's soccer, excuse me, football for our European folks, um, baseball, hockey, football, baseball, whatever. Okay, it's about the ring. It's about the championship. You could have the uh, greatest career ever. But if you don't have the ring, if you're not able to lead your team to the championship, it's a little bit of a ding. I mean, I'll, here's an example. Dan Marino, considered one of the top two, three quarterbacks of all time. How many Super Bowls did he win? Zero. Zero. Now, is he considered one of the best? Yes, he is, because he's got... Nearly every every passing record, although it's going to be challenged here. Um, now you could be, um, oh, let's uh, what's a good example here I can think of? Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer is about the most average quarterback you can get in the NFL. He's a good quarterback, no means a great quarterback, but he has a Super Bowl ring. So. Who had the more successful career? Well, you could say Dilfer. Why? He won the championship. Now you could say, well, okay, sorry, we'll uh, we'll stick off the football talk, even though we are in the middle of the NFL season. But my point being is, at the end of the day, if Nick wins one or two more championships, which isn't unreasonable, the fact that he didn't win, you know, bazillion races, who cares? He's a multi, he, he could be a multi-time champion. What's more important, being a multi-time champion, being smart about doing it, or winning a bunch of races and maybe never winning a championship? Ask, here would be the best thing to do, is go have a conversation with Randy Momola and ask him and said, Randy, you know, can, you know it's one of those things, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty on this deal. But go to him and say, Randy, if you had to do it over again, would there be one or two spots 
where had you backed down a little bit and finished a race instead of crashing out that of the four times you were runner-up, you might have won a world championship? Do you think, you know, what do you think? Would that have been a smarter thing to do? Do you think you'd be looked on better in history? And he'd probably say, you know, more than likely. Schwantz has come out and said afterwards, I realized too late in my career that if I, you know, the winner been uh, kind of way I wrote it, it cost me a couple championships. And it did. It cost him his career. Uh, he crashed, you know, especially the last one where he screwed up. His, I mean, he had multiple surgeries on his wrists. And that's really why he had to retire. Um, is he did not ha- he no longer had the strength in his arms and his wrists to, to literally hold on to the bike. Um, and still to this day, he's got, you know, he'll race, and but he'll still have issues. Uh, so you got to think, sometimes you got to think a little bit. No one is, no, I don't think anyone is going to argue that Valentino Rossi is the most talented rider on the track. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. I don't think Nikki Hayden would argue with that. But sometimes it's more than just about talent. Sometimes it is about equipment. Sometimes it's about race strategy. Sometimes it's about outlook on how you attack the, not only just the race, but the championship. Because it's a champion. It's not one race. It's not just a series of 17 races or next year 18 races, which it is. It's a strategy on how you attack it and how you game plan for everything. There's a lot more into it than that. And and you got to be smart about it. You can't just go out there. I mean, yeah, you want to go out there and try to win every time, but you got to be smart about it too. So, anyways, I just I found I found the I found the bad loser uh, mentality of a lot of the Rossi apologists sad and humorous at the same time. And I and I say this because Rossi couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have gone out of his. Couldn't have done more to go out of his way to congratulate Nikki about this whole deal. I mean, he flat out said, "You know, if there's anyone else who could have won the championship this year, I'm glad it was Nikki. I like him. I like his family. Um, he deserved to be champion. He had a better year." Okay, Valentino Rossi is going out and saying that Nikki deserved to be champion. Well, he's just saying that to be nice. Well, some of that is PR, and some of that probably is legitimate. I mean, um, you know, it's. He handled it with a lot more class and dignity than a lot of the Valentino Rossi fans. Um, there were a few Nikki Hayden fans that got a little bit out of control too, so I'm not going to let them get out, you know, skate by scot free. But I don't know. I just found the whole I found the whole thing interesting, and I would like your your feedback on that. We didn't talk about the uh, the administrative stuff at the beginning of the show, but. By this time, you know, anyone who's been listening to the show for a while, rumblestripradio at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us. Those of you who are new to the show, uh, coming to us from uh, from our mention in Road Racer X last week, welcome. Uh, some more other people have been finding us through the through uh, some recent weeks. would like to uh, welcome you as well. We Our numbers are up a decent chunk here in the last few uh, few shows, so very encouraging. So rumblestripradio at gmail.com, that of course is where you can send all feedback. Positive, negative, just like the general comments. Great. We had some, uh, a couple comments this week, so that's cool. Uh, RumbleStripRadio.com, that is the uh, obviously the website. So 
we'll get on uh, get on with the show. But anyway, so, so the championship is over. Nikki Hayden is the champion, and um, I would believe that this weekend in Owensboro, Kentucky, there's going to be one ginormous party, some uh, some big bonfire over at uh, Earl's Lane, um, which could be interesting considering that uh, they're not too far down the road from from Louisville. And uh, after the uh, big win that Louisville had over West Virginia in college football last weekend and the huge uh, horse races going on down at Churchill Downs this weekend, that could be, be a lot of people coming through that area. <laughs> so anyways, uh, championship is over. Nick is uh, set to go. And uh, I think he even said I'm, he's, he's just about ready for the championship to begin uh, once again. Valentino's ready for the season to begin. So... Let's uh, let's hear from some of the folks out there in uh, some of the other podcasts that I have out there, or friends of the uh, friends of the show out there, part of the uh, motorcycle podcast group, and then uh, we'll talk about everything that's happened uh, after the race. So uh, let's see, let's hit it. Listen up, sport riders. If you're not listening to the Knee Dragon podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon podcast has news, race results. horsepower, 200 miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email, we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. Calling all Canadians. Do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. Also, because uh, I'm missing the uh, promo for them, uh, don't forget to check out uh, uh, Prubert and Nate uh, over at Motocast. they got a new show that just came out this week talking about a little ride they had up in the Minnesota. I uh, haven't had a chance to listen to it. I just saw it came across it um, yesterday or the day before. But uh, motocast.libson.com, I believe, is where you can get it. Or like they say, on the uh, like just about everyone else on the iTunes store. You can also find uh, Rumble Strip Radio on the iTunes store as well. Anyway, so the big uh, big events going on after after the race. Of course, there was some testing being done. Um, not only on some new riders on new equipment, but a lot of the 800s getting rolled out as well. Um. Let's see, what do we have here? Uh, Jeremy McWilliams and Andrew Pitt were trying out the Ilmore bike. And what do we have here? Wednesday's times. Let's just go through Wednesday's times here real quick. Oops, sorry about that. On the 990s on Wednesday, as we said, Rossi was doing a little testing. And then um, 
Elias and Melandry were doing uh, some testing to see how the Bridgestones worked out on their bike. And, of course, Alex Barros was on the uh, the Dan team bike and uh, literally straight uh, uh, Cardoso's bike and uh, basically swapped Dunlops for Bridgestones. So the 990 times we had on Wednesday were Rossi at a 32.7, um, Elias at a 32.7, Melandry at a 32.9, and Barros at a 33.6, which was pretty impressive and kind of shows that um, what a little bit of tired, a little bit of rider could do for that Dantine bike. So anyone who thought that the Dantine bike was maybe not up to spec, I would think that uh, that might show you something. Now, on the 800 times, the interesting thing is um, is how fast some of the times were. In fact, uh, many of the times is, is faster than uh, than the 900s, although... Uh, air and traction was a little bit better. Oh, by the way, I want to, I do want to address this. And this is the only borderline sour grapes thing that I can come up with Rossi and they, and during the event, Rossi was saying that, you know, it was a, it was a very warm day for race day. Okay. But he was saying that he couldn't get out of seventh place because they were down so much on power because the water temperature was up because he was stuck in line. Um, and not being able to get around people was part of the reason he crashed. A little bit of sour grapes, maybe somewhat legitimate, who knows. Um, although that isn't the first time that uh, Yamaha has had problems with cooling on that bike. So anyways, uh, so the 800 times on Wednesday were Rossi quickest at a 33.1, Caparossi at a 33.11, so basically right in line. Um, then came Hopper and Vermeulen. Hopper at a 33.14 and Vermeulen on a 33.18. The reason those times are interesting is that they were still using the same 990 chassis uh, just with the 800 motor in them. So it could be very interesting, although a lot of people got excited um, during testing for this season because the Suzuki's looked very competitive and at times, you know, during the season, early part of the season looked that way and didn't work out that way, but... So that should be interesting to see how that's going to come about. Um, then came The Hobbit at uh, a 33.21. Stoner, a 33.41. So uh, what, about three-tenths back from his teammate. Uh, Nikki at a 33.66. And then uh, McWilliams, 35.8. And Pitt at a 36.6. So we see that the Elmore bike is going to need uh, quite a bit more work. Uh, and then on Thursday... We got some times in where, let's see, the Hobbit was in at a 32.66, uh, Vermeulen a 32.69, Stoner a 32.94, Hopper to 32.95, Caparex 33.01, Bados, uh 33.2 once again on the 990, Rossi at a 33.78, and McWilliams 35.9, and Pitt 36.4. Um Press release, Valentino said that they were trying some, they were slower, but they were trying out some things uh, to get a direction on the bike, and that's why they were slower on Thursday. So anyone who thought that the 800s were going to be significantly slower, <laughs> wrong. So uh, in fact, well, again, maybe not the greatest gauge at uh, at Valencia because it is such a tight track. Uh, that overall horsepower isn't as so much important as overall handling. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the other thing to think about here, too, is that to the best of my knowledge, 
Um, the 800s are being run on tires that were designed for the 990s, uh, meaning much more, a much more and much more brutal power delivery. Um, not so much with, um, I hate to say side grip and handling, but that's essentially what it boils down to is they're more, less 250, the 990s were very much, you know, not, not so 250-ish where every indication from, uh, from every press release coming in and all the news coming in and as everyone's saying, the 800s are, feel very much like a 250, uh, so much more, uh, cornering speed even though the weight is uh, basically the same as the 990 bikes. So the interesting thing is going to be is what tire development is going to be. I mean, if these, if they're going this fast on tires that were designed for the eight, for the 990s, what's going to happen when they bring more of a 250 design um, to the profile of the tire uh, for these 800s? That's going to be, you know, I, I think that um, by the time we get to the first race next year, that they'll be, even quicker than the than the 900s were. I seriously believe that because they essentially have the same amount of usable power. They have less overall power, but more usable power. In that, um, they, they were so dialed some at times so dialed back on the electronics in the 990. They weren't able to use all 270, 275 horsepower. Some of these machines, uh, the 800s. Okay, maybe they're down at 240. Okay, well, it's still, so maybe they're using 238 of the 240, where before they could only use 238 of the, you know, 275, if, if you get my drift. Um, and being able to get on the gas a little bit sooner and smoother because you're not so worried about the electronics cutting in. Um, could be, could be quite interesting. Um, I think, was it, yeah, I'm sorry, in some of Nikki's comments, he said that on Wednesday he could have gone faster. Um they were just having some some problems mapping the uh, mapping the motor as far as fuel injection goes in uh, third and fourth gear, I believe he said. So he he said he's probably a tenth or so off of that. So yeah, we'll get what we get off of that. So where was he on uh, thirty three six? So let's say he could have gone a thirty three three thirty three four. Yeah, he's right. He's right in there. But not like the eight hundred Honda wasn't designed specifically around uh, the Hobbit, right? I mean, he flat out said that uh, his first time on the bike, he was he felt much more comfortable because uh, he could get in a tuck where he could get his elbows and his knees tucking or touching. Where on the uh, 990, he couldn't do that. Well, hmm, gee, I wonder why that was. Hmm, hmm. Sorry, we'll uh, we'll stay off the uh, 800 conspiracy theories for uh, for now. So, um, what else do we want to talk about? Tabatos. Uh, okay, uh, the Dantine bikes will be, um, uh, I'm sorry, Hoffman re-signed yesterday with Dantine. That was kind of no surprise there. Um, uh, Gintzeli is uh, going to be the second rider on the Tech Tua team. And we're still looking for a second Kawasaki. I'm sorry, no, we have both Kawasaki riders now, right? Yes, we do. Because we have, uh, yeah. Sorry, am I spacing out on that one? Anyways, no, we, we're still looking for one Kawasaki rider, right? Anyways, sorry, I'm uh, I'm spacing out there on that one. Anyways, so and I'm sure the uh, the Ilmore bike will be wrapped up here very shortly with who's riding that. Whether um, Gary McCoy is going to be back on that, whether Jeremy McWilliams, Andrew Pitt, and then there's um, 
some really, really young British kid whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, like 125 writer, uh, who might have a shot at that, at that seat as well. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, obviously next season shaping up to be, uh, pretty interesting. There's some more testing going to happen in two weeks, I believe it is. And then everything shuts down until after the first of the year for the, because of the testing ban. So, uh, one more, uh, one more test where we'll see the 800s out. Uh, be interesting to see if we see the Suzuki's with the chassis for the 800 out, or whether they'll just do, still be doing more more testing as is. Wouldn't expect to see the Kawasaki's out until until next year, once the uh, testing ban is over and everyone kind of goes into the official testing season. Um, st- oh, that's right, Jacques. That uh, <laughs> that's right. Olivier Jacques was uh, was brought back to ride the other Kawasaki bike. That's it. Knew that would come to me eventually. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they... Supposedly, he's been testing the 800. Um, how much success they've had at this point, I don't know. Um, as, I, as I said a few weeks ago, I was getting uh, information that said the... Uh, having Still having motor issues with, uh, with that. But that was, you know, it's been a, three weeks to a month ago for, for that information. So it could very well have changed quite a bit in the last month. So we'll see what happens there. But, um, hmm, yeah, a little bit shorter show than I expected it to be. I uh, thought we were going to have more to talk about here afterwards, but hey, it's all good, right? And let me just go through my notes here real quick, make sure that I did touch on everything I want to, uh, to go over. And uh, if not, we will get out of here. And it looks like, looks like we got everything covered here. going to take you out of the show a little bit differently this week. Um, a little bit different, uh, outro music was, uh, going through some stuff and came across a song I hadn't heard in a couple of years, but I think it was very, very appropriate. But, um, for that, I will say, we'll, uh, we'll throw the administrative stuff here at the back end. Of course, all feedback is more than welcome at, uh, rumblestripradio at gmail.com, the website, www.rumblestripradio.com. You can uh, subscribe to us uh, on the site. Just click the link there where it says RSS feed. Uh, or if you are an iTunes user, you can click on that, uh, click on the website to uh, automatically subscribe through iTunes or just head on over to iTunes and uh, can subscribe through there. Just do a search for MotoGP and uh, we should come up there in the list of other uh, motorcycle related podcasts. So until uh, next week, we'll have uh, still got a lot to talk about uh, how uh, a few things are shaking up. AMA is starting to do a little bit of testing. The Suzuki's of little shakedown action there, and they're headed off to Malaysia shortly. Uh, a lot of other stuff going on in the industry as well we'll talk about. So um, I'll still let you know that since I'm going different outro music that I will and, and don't have the ta- the uh, disclaimer at the end, uh, Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. And with that, props to Troy Bayless, mucho props uh, well, I should say, first off, props to uh, the Lollipop Guild and uh, mucho props to uh, to Nick Hayden for fulfilling the uh, the lifetime dream that he uh, that he had. And uh... a lot of uh, sharks out there trying to take a bite of something. Exactly. Was hot. So we'll see you next week. A lot Have of chameleons fun. out there. Be good. Trying to change Keep it up. on two wheels. Take care, kids. Anytime see you next something week. new comes along.
Everybody wants a bite. Don't happen overnight. So you wanna be a rock superstar and live large, big house, five cars, you're in charge. Coming up with the world, don't trust nobody. Gotta look over your shoulder, cause I remember the days when I was a young kid growing up, looking in the mirror, dreaming about growing up the rock crowd, make money, do what the honey, sign autographs, and whatever the people want from me. Shit's funny how impossible dreams manifest in the games that be coming with it. Nevertheless, you got the gold from the gusto, but you don't know about the Sweat and tears and losing some of your fears and losing some of yourself to the years past gone by. Hopefully it don't manifest. But the poor guy, egomaniac in the brainiac, don't know how to act. Sixteen, forty-eight tracks, studio gangs, the max. Sign the deal, bitch. He's gonna make a meal, but never will. Till he crosses over steel, filling your head with fantasies. Come with me, show the sacrifice it takes to make the cheese. You wanna be a rock superstar in the biz and take shit from people who don't know what it is. Stop the shit for all fun and game. The fame is high, it's some can't pay the way you're trapped in what you rapping about. Tell me what happened when you lost clout, the route you took started collapsing. No fans, no fame, no respect, no change, no women, and everybody shits on this shit. You wanna be a rock superstar, and live large, a big house, five cars, a big charge. Coming up with the world, don't trust nobody, gotta look over your shoulder, confidently to be a rock superstar, and live large, a big house, five cars, a big charge. People see rock star, you know what I'm saying? But you still trying to get out and work like like everybody else, you know. You know, it's a fun job, but it's still a job, you know. Save your money, man. Save your money too. It's single don't last very long. You know what I'm saying? I mean I've been lucky in this game too. There's gonna be another cat coming out looking like me, sounding like me next year. I know this. It'll be a flip side to what you did. Somebody else trying to spin off like some series. Yeah, if I have big dreams, I'll make it big clean. Big shot, heavy hitter on the making. You wanna look trendy in the Bentley. Be a star band, never act friendly. You wanna have big fame? Let me explain what happens to these stars in their big brains. First, they get played like all damn day. Long as you sell, everything will be okay. Then you get this by the media fans. Things never stay the same way. I heard that some never give fool to the bullets. That's why fools end up dying on the bullet. Think everything's fine in the big time. See me in my legs with the chrome ring shine. So you wanna roll far and live large. It ain't all that goes with being a rock star. Easy to 